15, Part 3, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Well, good morning, Metro. Hey, good morning to those in the nursery, uh, to the gym sanctuary, and to our online community. It's been a while since I've been up here. I haven't been up here since Easter, and so it's good for me to be back and sharing God's Word with you. Uh, lots have happened. Uh, several months ago, about two, three months ago, my wife and I engaged in a very serious conversation with our 13-year-old son, Christian. And the reason that this was such an atypical conversation is because my son is like a typical 13-year-old. He loves having fun. He loves making people laugh, and he specifically loves to be around people that make him laugh. That's kind of the life stage that he's in. And he decided to, to, to have a conversation with us that was actually very serious. And here's what he said to us. He said, Mom and Dad, I want to drop out of school. <laughs> That's what he said to us. I want to drop out of school at the age of 13. And I said, really? Okay, well, what do you plan to do with your life if you drop out of school today? He said, uh, I want to be a YouTube star. I said, really? You think your life is so interesting that millions of people around the world are going to want to tune in and watch and learn about your life? And he began to think about that. And he realized I had a point there. <laughs> that is not that easy. And he said, well, you know what? I realized that if I dropped out of school right now, I'd probably traumatize you guys a little too much. So he said, um, what I will do is I will graduate high school but I'm not going to college. And I remember just thinking, man, you keep this up, you may not even be able to make that choice, all right? I might beat you down before you even can entertain a choice like that. And I said to him, I said, well, like, then what do you plan to do with your life if you don't go to college? Because college offers you opportunities that you may not have if you didn't go. He said, I don't know, but I don't want to study. I don't like studying. I don't like schoolwork. It's like, maybe I'll go to plumbing school and be a plumber. I do not know what I'm going to do. And so it was this typical rhetoric that he was saying to us over and over again. And, and we even had a, a sort of a brief conversation about it yesterday. And, and my wife was so sad. She's like, what are we doing wrong with this kid? Like, why is he like this? And the girls are, don't even entertain this as an option. But for him, I mean, he, does he want to go to school right now? And so I just said, I, th I think what Christian is lacking is what a lot of 13-year-old boys lack, and a lot of young kids lack today, and even us, is grit. He doesn't have any grit. He thinks life is just about having fun, that it's just supposed to be easy, you're supposed to laugh, it's supposed to be easy, and he doesn't know how to buckle down. He doesn't know how to persevere. He has no sense of resolve right now, and he's struggling with the strength of character, knowing that if there's an important goal that you can pursue, that in order to pursue those goals many times, you're going to have to build some grit to get there because it's not going to be fun all the time. You all know that, right? That it's not easy pursuing certain goals that you may have for yourself. And if you don't have grit, you're never going to get there. I think my son is very similar to how a lot of us are when we think about our spiritual life and our spiritual dynamics. Because I think for a lot of us, when we became a Christian, we thought it was a lifetime pass to Disneyland. That we get to go on these great roller coasters at Magic Mountain and get to hang out and run around with Mickey Mouse and, and just have this great time. And whenever we encounter something of, of difficulty and hardships, we often question and we wonder what's going on here. Is there something abnormal about my faith in God? And we treat adversities and hardships many times uh, as signs perhaps maybe that this Christian life isn't worth pursuing or maybe fighting for our faith isn't really worth fighting for. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been to a place in your life where you've gone through such things, such hardships, that you felt like maybe faith isn't worth fighting for? I think if you have or if you're in there right now, you're in a beautiful place. It's a 
got to hold on. You got to hold on. Maybe God hasn't answered a prayer request. And as a result of it, it's really hurt you in such a way. And then for some of you, you're just struggling right now to make sense of that. And some of you feel like maybe faith isn't worth fighting for. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe for some of you, you've gone through some, some serious loss. Maybe you lost a relationship. You broke up with an ex. Or, or maybe your marriage is broken right now and you're struggling in that reality. Or, or maybe you've lost some important people in your life to illnesses and diseases. And, and you've prayed so hard that God would be able to save these people. And it has not happened. And as a result of it, you, found, you find that maybe perhaps God or you download that event and you download in such a way that you think maybe God isn't really listening to you. And it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts oftentimes and you think maybe my faith isn't worth fighting for. As you're living life and as you're going through life and some of us were getting older, I'm getting older and you realize that maybe you don't have any friends. I met up with somebody in my office this week. He's 44 years younger than me. And he, and he said, you know, I don't have any friends. I have people that I can hang out with and, and kind of do life with. I work with some people and at work. But he goes, I don't have anyone that, that really knows me. And, and he said, I, I don't have a Samwise the Brave in my life, right, from Lord of the Rings. I don't have somebody who's willing to go to Mount Mordor with me, <laughs> right? Every guy, don't you want somebody who's willing to go to Mount Mordor with you? That's saying, you know what, I'll go to battle with you. That to have those kinds of friends is something I think all of us, we have this deep human longing. And you've been praying for it. You've been trying to be intentional about it. But you seem to get disappointed because people aren't as reciprocal as to the desire that you have to want to build those kinds of relationships. And it hurts. And perhaps maybe you're feeling like this faith isn't worth fighting for. And you're struggling with that. Maybe the marriage is struggling so much and, and you're struggling with God about that because you prayed for a spouse and, and, and you thought before you married this person, you actually prayed and said, God, is this the one you want me to marry? And you felt like God was saying, absolutely, go for it. And you think, well, you really? Okay, I'll go for it. Maybe you have some people pray for you and they say, go for it. It'll be fine. And you went for it and you went for it. Now you realize that you should have never went for it. Because it was so hard and this person is anything but what you thought. And you thought it would be a positive, a real nurturing kind of relationship. It's been anything but that. And, and, and you're struggling to wrap your mind around a God that cares for you, that told you to marry this person when your life is hell right now. You're thinking about maybe calling it quits. That you're struggling a little bit in life. Has having faith in God been so difficult that you've actually entertained the thought that maybe having no faith at all would be a better alternative to life? Has it ever happened to you? Well, today, as we look at Acts chapter 15, and we look at a couple verses there, and then jump into chapter 16, verses 1 through 10, we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul how we can learn to build spiritual grit how we can build a sense of perseverance and resolve so that we can grow, we can build the strength of character, understanding that our, our walk with God, the love that God has for us is worth fighting for. And if you listen real carefully today, I do believe in the last several years that I've been sort of trying to walk with God and trying to build spiritual grit, hardships, difficulties, challenges, unanswered prayers, Metro, have been invitations for me by God to encounter his love and his grace all the more. And I hope that after this message, that you would be able to receive the invitation that God may want to give to you today. Hardships and, and difficulties and challenges and all those things, it, they're not things that you should download in your mind or into your soul believing that God doesn't love you. In fact, I believe they're invitations that God wants to give to you today to engage deeper with them. But how do we build spiritual grit? How do we build a sense of resolve and strength of character and perseverance? Paul's going to teach us how we can do that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 15. 
and look at verse 36, and then we're going to go through chapter 16, verse 10. All right, it gets intense here between Paul and Barnabas. It says, sometime later, Paul, and, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in, the, in Pamphylia and they had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised them because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that, he, that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the, they delivered the decision reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, I, I pray that you would just help us, Lord, to really dig deep into this text. And would you teach us, Lord, how we can build spiritual good. I pray that it's something that all of us in this room, we really aspire to want to grow in. Because if we don't, God, oftentimes um, hardships will, will, will often drift us away from you and your presence. And so, God, as we look at the life of Paul and Barnabas and how, we, how they encountered life together and, and how they encounter some hardships as well. God, I pray that you would just teach us how we can truly build spiritual good in our, own, in our own lives. And so I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, God, I pray that it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen. All right. And so um, how do we build spiritual grit? How can you and I get to a place in our own lives where we can do that, where we can build spiritual grit? Well, the first thing we learn from Paul is simply this. We build spiritual grit when we are willing to face conflicts. You and I build spiritual grit when we're willing to face conflicts. Look at the conflict that Paul and Barnabas encountered. And this is, this is a serious a serious uh, conflict, all right? Look what it says in verse 30 to 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And so the church blesses Paul on their missionary journey, not necessarily Barnabas here. It's really sad to see the kind of conflict that Paul had with Barnabas. It generated bitterness amongst them. Uh, Paul didn't like Mark simply because if you remember the few chapters ago, Mark deserted them. 
He left. They needed him, and he left. And so Paul believed that Mark had some character flaws. And as a result of that character flaws, this young Paul, the apostle, said, no, we are not going to take him. Barnabas couldn't have disagreed more. And so they fought about it. They, 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 they argued about it. They duked it out. And in the end, they came to the conclusion that they cannot do this together anymore, that they got to part ways. But you see, what I love about this is that they were willing to face the conflict. And this helps, hopefully helps you to understand that when you and I are willing to face the conflict, it's not going to always end like in the kumbaya way that we often hope it would. A lot of times it may end where you may have to go your separate ways, but we have to be willing to face the conflict because in God's sovereignty, you know what happens in all of it because they were willing to face the conflict? There was two journeys now instead of one, meaning there was more work that was being accomplished as a result of it. And so when you think about this idea of conflict, can I ask you, do you run away from conflict or do you actually face it? When you know that you're in a conflict with someone, what is your natural tendency? If you're anything like me, your first natural inclination is to walk the other way from the conflict. It's not to engage it. And don't you see that there's a common theme that's happening? Because three weeks ago, Pastor Kevin talked about the importance of church unity. Last Sunday, Clay talked about how you and I have to confront division. And now we find here as well, again, Paul and Barnabas, two very spiritual people are in conflict. And they're not running away, but they're facing it, trying to deal with it. And they ended in a very amicable way. And that's key, because when a lot of you and I engage in conflict, sometimes we destroy people in the process. And as a result of destroying them, there's no way that there can ever be a time of reconciliation again in the relationship. Later on, guess what happened? Paul and Barnabas did come together and things were better between them. They began to see each other again as colleagues and then they were able to do a relationship again. And guess what happened with Paul? He realized how important Mark was later on. He realized that Mark actually was a true man of God. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 4.11. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Oh, Paul came around. He finally came around. But you see, when you and I are in conflict, we cannot walk away from it. We have to face it. And it's one of the best ways in how you and I build spiritual grip because you really rely upon God when you have to engage in conflict. You have, to res- you have to sort of commit yourself to letting go of your own desires and just really sitting and being in a place where you can engage and face those conflicts today. And so who are you in conflict with today? Will you face them? Or are you going to keep walking away from it and pretend it doesn't exist? I'm talking about the important relationships that you really do care about. Are you willing to do it? It's amazing for me sometimes to engage in conversation with people and I find husband and wives not engaging in conflict and they would rather just not not even talk about it. And you know what begins to happen when you and I sort of create this, this, this sort of natural behavior of running away from our conflicts and just not engaging in it? You know what begins to happen? You begin to live in superficiality in your relationships. And there's no substance. And it's no reason why we feel so alone today that we don't really have friends because we don't face conflicts. What we've learned over the last three weeks is this. In any relationship that you and I are in that's pretty significant, that's important to us, there's going to be conflict. You're going to have to face it if you want to build spiritual grit. If you don't, then you're never going to be able to have a a, a real relationship with someone where you can go deep. And you're not going to be able to walk with God for a long period of time by yourself. It's impossible. I wish you could do it by yourself, but you just can't do it. We need the body of Christ to grow with one another. Amen? Amen? We do. And so engage in it. 
Face it. Don't walk away from your conflicts. Engage with it and see what God can do through it. You're going to build spiritual grit as you and I go through that, right? Because you know what happens when you and I don't deal with conflict? Hear me on this. You gossip. When you run away from conflict, you know how you know you run away from conflict naturally? Is when you tend to gossip a lot about those people that you don't like, that you're in conflict with. And when you are doing that, Metro, you are no longer doing the work of God, but you are participating in the work of the devil. Because the devil's goal is to lie to you to believe that it's okay to talk about someone in a very negative way that you're unwilling to face a conflict with. And if anything, the devil will use you then to divide the body. And that's sad. I do hope that you'll be able to face conflicts today. We all should have a few, I think. Who are you in conflict with today? Will you face it rather than running away from it? You're never going to build spiritual good unless you're willing to face those conflicts. And I know it's hard, but we're going to have to engage in them if we really want to build spiritual grit and be able to fight and continue to know the depth of God's love. And oftentimes when I engage in conflicts with people that I'm struggling with, I often come out feeling and, and, and experiencing a deeper sense of God's love. But when you are facing those conflicts, please speak truth in love. It's the most important thing. Truth in love. Love. Rather than saying, you made me do this, or, or you, and start accusing them, it's best to engage in those conflicts when you can say things of, when you did this, this is how I felt. That's a great way to engage in conflict. Rather than saying, you know, you never do this, you never clean the house, you never, you know, uh, take, give the kids a shower, you never cook dinner. Uh, I wouldn't say that. But maybe a better way to say is that, you know, uh, when you don't help around the house, you know how I feel? I feel like a servant. I don't feel like we're kind of in this thing together. Because marriage isn't about a 50-50 relationship. It's 100% and 100%. Y'all got to give 100% to make this thing work, right, to make it work. Engaging, facing the conflict rather than just walking away. Because you may think you're just trying to keep peace, but you're not. What you're doing is you're creating superficiality in your relationship. And you're not going to really know yourself and know God in a deeper way when you don't face those conflicts. Second, we build spiritual grit when we minister hope to people, all right? Engaging in conflict, facing it. But the second thing is, is, is getting to a place where you realize that God is calling you to a ministry of giving hope to people. This is beautiful. If you get this, this is beautiful. You know why this is so beautiful? Because you're going to be like a Barnabas. Because Barnabas realized that, you know, and I know his name meant son of encouragement. And so he was a natural encourager. But your faith is not just about you. And so many of us, our faith is just so, we're so self-consumed about how God can bless us and how God can bless our world. And, and, and I want you to know that if that's, if that's how you view your faith in God, that primarily the reason why you believe in God is so that God can just bless your world, I'm sorry to say you're not going to build spiritual grit. Because at some point in your life, you're going to have to get to a place where you see beyond just God blessing your world and you can finally say, God, how can I bless your world? How can I bless the world in which you're allowing me to live in? And who are those in my life right now that feel dejected? Who in my life are feeling overwhelmed, they're feeling rejected from this fast-paced society in which we're living in today? And maybe can you use me to minister hope to them? Be sort of this dispenser or a conduit of God's grace to other people. That's what Barnabas did. I mean, Barnabas fought with Paul, Paul the apostle, who is now the leader of the mission to the Gentiles, and he disagreed because he saw that there was hope. Even though 
Mark failed, that there was still hope to be had, and he ministered that hope unto him. So much so that Mark really did live up to his expectations that, that Barnabas did have. Because Barnab- uh, Mark was also very close, and he was literally the assistant to the apostle Peter. He worked with him. We find that in 1 Peter 5.13, Peter greets him. He calls him my son Mark. And because they had such a close relationship, most scholars believe that Mark, this Mark, John Mark, was the one who authored the second gospel in the New Testament, the gospel of Mark that you and I read as the gospel of Mark. We find also that Mark was the first missionary to Egypt, and he planted the very first church in Alexandria. And he was his bridge between Barnabas, Peter, and Paul. And eventually, Paul began to see the value of this man in this ministry. And I want you to know this. He would have never gotten there if it wasn't for Barnabas administering hope and grace and love to this man. And it was because Barnabas entered into this ministry of hope to him, allowed Mark to rise up and to be the kind of leader he is today. And what I love about Barnabas is that he didn't just encourage Mark from afar Say, hey, you're awesome. You can do it. No, he invited him to be a part of his ministry. He trusted and believed in him so much. And that's how you often offer hope to people, that you believe in them so much that you're willing to invite them to be a part of your inner circle and the things that you feel God is calling you and I to do. All of you here are Barnabas. And many of you would not be here if it wasn't for a Barnabas that poured into your life. Amen? Amen? You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that Barnabas in your life. Can you be a Barnabas to somebody? Can you look around and say, where is my mark? God, who is the mark that you've brought into my life? Can I administer hope? And that's not about you just being there cheerleader and saying, hey, you can do it. Go ahead. Go for it. You can do it. No. It's about you you telling them you can't do it, but with God, you can do anything. God wants you to be a blessing. He wants you to see that your faith isn't just about you just sitting and just receiving from God, but that you can be able to release it because you don't really receive God's grace and his presence unless you're willing to first release it to other people. There are so many people in your sphere of influence and in your circle in your life, whether it be at work, whether it be at school, whether it be at home, whether it be just in your social arenas, that God wants to use you to be a Barnabas, to encourage those people around you, especially those that might be dejected today, those who feel so rejected. Will you? Rise up and be a minister of hope to them. Oh, man, you build spiritual grit when you do that. And you begin to realize how much love and grace you experience from God when you engage in the ministry of hope. Sometimes you think, I'll just do it by just praying and asking God to give it to me. But you don't experience the grace of God until you start offering it to other people. And I believe God wants you to do that today, that you would be a Barnabas to somebody. You build spiritual grit when you and I do that. Third, we build spiritual grit when we're willing to suffer for God. When you and I are willing to suffer for God. How many of you are willing to suffer for God today? Look at what Timothy does and Paul. Paul came to, uh, chapter 16, verse 1. Chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish, was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised them because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decision reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. 
they grew daily numbers. If you and I ever want to build spiritual grit, we have to be willing to suffer, all right? Now, in the Jewish law, Timothy was a Jew. I know his father was a Gentile, but in the Jewish law, your ethnicity is determined by your mother, not your father, all right? And so because uh, Timothy's mom, Eunice, was a Jewish woman, he was a Jew, but he was not circumcised. And so because he wasn't circumcised, he would be considered an apostate, meaning he would be considered one of those Jews that don't believe in God. And so understand that for Paul, his strategy was always to to go into Gentile territory and and first hit up the synagogues. And so he realized that because Timothy wasn't circumcised, that he would not have been accepted by the Jewish people. And so some of you, I know you're Pauline scholars, and I know that you're reading that they're bringing the letters to these synagogues and to these places, teaching them that they don't have to be circumcised to be accepted by God. And Paul writes a lot about that in his letters, right? And that's true. That's true. Paul is absolutely, Paul still contends that. Paul didn't circumcise Timothy so that he can be accepted by God. No. Paul circumcised Timothy so that he can be accepted by Jewish people. It's very different. It was for ministry's sake. And Timothy as an adult had to get circumcised. Ouch. How many of you are willing to suffer for God like that? I think we're so adverse to suffering. And a lot of us, we don't think we should suffer. In fact, when we suffer, we think perhaps maybe this isn't worth doing. I remember somebody once said, I was in college, and she said, I believe in Jesus because it's easy. It's easy and it's fun. It's like my son, right? Jesus never promises that following him is going to be fun. In fact, he promises that it's actually going to hurt. You got to pick up your cross and follow him. But he's saying it's all worth it because it's about engaging and living in the love of God. And you and I both know anything worth doing, that anything that you love is worth doing, isn't it? Anything that you love. I mean, it's amazing to see what some people would do for love. I knew this one person. I didn't know him, but I heard about him from my friend. His girlfriend lived in Ohio. He lived in New Jersey. He drove every week to see her. He's crazy. (laughs) That's some crazy kind of suffering for love. Every week he drove to Ohio because he loved her. I mean, you all know, every parent in this room, you would gladly, I want to say glad, but you would voluntarily give your life so that your child doesn't have to suffer if it meant your life or their life. You know this idea that when you love someone, that there is this, there's this component that suffering is just a natural part of it. So then why isn't it with God? That when you know how much God loves you, and if you come here and confess, and you sing some songs about God's love and how much you love him, why aren't you willing to suffer for him? But think what Paul is doing here. In verse 36, he goes to Barnabas and says, let's go back and let's go minister to these towns that we just ministered to. Paul was still limping, Metro. He was beaten to a pulp if you look at those passages before. He's still limping, recovering from all the assault and all the beatings he had to endure for the sake of the gospel message. And he has the audacity to say to Barnabas, let's go back and minister there again. Because he loves Jesus so much, he's willing to suffer. And don't you feel like there's something incongruent about our faith when we see the faith of these men? That for a lot of us, we we say, we're not going to do this because it's going to cause us to suffer, God. 
And we talk ourselves out of it because the suffering might be a little too difficult. But I'm here to tell you guys that God is calling you and I to suffer for him because it's one of the best ways in how we show that we do love him. God loved you so much that he suffered by sending his son to come and die for you on the cross. He gave it all up to suffer that way for his son given to you. Jesus was willing to die on that cross. Could you imagine if he was at Gethsemane and he said, I ain't doing it, God, it's too much. No, 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 no. I'm not praying anymore. Take this cup away from me. If it's your will, my will is I'm not doing it anymore. Could you imagine that? How different would our lives be today? But he said, I'll do it. I'll do it. Why? Because he loved you and I. When you love someone, suffering is something that you're not happy to do, but you will openly and willingly do. And so I ask you, will you suffer Will you suffer for Jesus today? Will you suffer for him? Now, how do we suffer for him? How do we do it? Well, you know, I think a lot of us, we think, well, maybe I should do something real drastic and, and you know, and just suffer. And some of you, you guys are way too intense. You got to relax, all right? You just got to chill out because you're like, you think like Christianity is like, you know, going up against the Goliath, Right? And, and you got to relax a little bit. You know, I, I went to seminary and, and I had some friends that wanted to be missionaries and, they, and, they, and their dream was to die for God on the mission field. I just thought they were just weird. But part of it is that they're just saying, I want to suffer for God. I want to I do it. But I don't think that's what God would call us all to say, hey, die for me. That's not, God doesn't want you to die. There's so much work to be done. There's so much ministry of hope to be given to people. Why would he want you to die? Right? But some of us, we think only death could be the way to show how much we love someone. No, there's a lot more. You know what it is? It's even harder than death. You know what's harder than death? Really is because all you husbands, you would gladly die for your wife. That's easy. You know what's harder to do? Surrender to them. That's harder than dying for them. Surrender to them. And the same thing with God. If you really want to suffer and say, God, I'm willing to suffer, It's about saying, God, I'm going to surrender everything to you. I'm going to surrender my will so that it's in line with yours. That's hard to do. That's painful. But you're going to have to learn to surrender because if you can't surrender to God, then there's a sense of no peace. There's just a ceasing of peace in your life and in your heart. You have to learn to surrender. Surrender. When you can face conflicts, that's surrendering yourself to God. And can I just give you a little piece of thing that I just really feel like it's, it's it may not be pertaining to this, but an area that you got to really surrender to God. Could I just really encourage you as your pastor? Can you surrender your need to succeed in this world? Can you surrender the need to be rich? Some of you have made more money than you're ever going to need. Why would you keep working the way you're working and ignoring the most important people in your life as a result? Why? Why would you work so hard? You know, the American dream is the greatest sort of uh, lie of the devil. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have good things, but a lot of us, we think the American dream is God's dream. And in the process, what we're doing is we're, we're, not, we're hurting the relationships that are really important to us because we just want to focus on work and make a lot of money and prosper. And, and we feel like that's the way we need to go. But, but that doesn't do much, I'm telling you. It doesn't do even much for your own soul. And can I encourage you to lay down your need to want to succeed in this world, the need to want to have people say you're so awesome, the need to feel like you're better than everyone else, and can you just submit and surrender yourself and say, God, I'm not going to pursue, we're going to live more simply, and I want to be with the people that really matter the most. Be like Tony Starks, the Iron Man. 
in uh, Avengers Endgame. I'm not going to ruin the movie for you, but you know what he says to somebody? I'm not even going to say who he said to, but it was somebody that's so important to him. He says to him, and you know, Tony's a billionaire. He says, what does he say? Do we have that photo? He says, no amount of money ever brought a second of time. He says it to somebody that is just working so much and is never home. And he's about ready to have his first child. And he says, what advice do you have for me? And Tony said this, no amount of money will ever buy you an extra second of your time. Don't matter how rich you are. No amount of money will ever buy you another second of your time. Meaning, devote most of your time to the people that matter to you the most. You will never, ever regret that on your deathbed, I promise you. Surrender your need to succeed in this world for the sake of the people that are more important to you. Surrendering. If you and I surrender to God, we will build grit, spiritual grit. The last thing, we build spiritual grit when we are submissive to the Holy Spirit. When you and I are submissive to the Holy Spirit, this is such a key thing here. Look at verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of, of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got, and here we got, underline that word we, it's the first time Luke introduces himself into Acts, the very first time. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Luke, who authored the third gospel uh, in the Bible and also is the author here of, of uh, Acts, includes himself right here and says, hey, we, me and Paul, we and others participated. We went to Macedonia. Paul was a strategic planner. He felt that God was leading him to go into these places to go minister, and so he set the plan. But you and I need to learn that as we set a plan, we always have to be willing to submit to the Holy Spirit because he might call you to pivot. He might say, no, 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 you got to go this way. And, you know, David said this at sermon practice this week. I thought it was great. There goes that suffering again. Could you imagine being disappointed by God again? I mean, here is Paul. He's setting a whole plan. Here's how I'm going to go and minister to God. And what does the Holy Spirit say? No, 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 sit on the bench. You're not going there. And they had to deal with that disappointment again. They had to suffer and realize, okay, I guess I don't have it all together. I got to just keep relying on the Holy Spirit. And so for Paul, we see this extraordinary discipline or a combination of strategic planning and this key sensitivity to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. All right? So that means plan the best you can. Always plan. Right? Set out a plan. But always as you're, as you're trying to live out that plan, you got to have, have this willingness to be sensitive to the Spirit because the Spirit may guide you to do something different from that plan. And you have to be okay with that. You can't just say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. It doesn't even make sense. A lot of times when the Holy Spirit encourages you to do something, it's not going to make sense. It's really not going to make sense. And so he's going to guide you in many ways to do it. So I guess the big question then is, how do we hear from the Holy Spirit? How do we hear the very voice of the Holy Spirit? Well, there are several ways. And for Paul, there were a few ways for him. Uh, the first is through prophecy. 
right? Silas was a prophet. Paul was a prophet. He got these words from God and God just kind of led him through it. They were so in tune with God and his spirit that they often heard from God and, 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 and they were able to speak those kinds of truths, directions on how people needed to live their life. And so prophecy is one of them. Dreams. Paul was dreaming. And he had a vision of this guy in Macedonia saying, hey, come over to us, we need you. And it was through that dream where God spoke and they decided to go to Macedonia. And so don't underestimate your dreams. And if you have a prophetic gift or if somebody has a prophetic gift and they spoke something unto you, then it's a point for you to sort of hold on to that and not do it right away, but hold on to it. But the most powerful way in how you hear from the Holy Spirit, and this is really one of the best ways, is really through other people. As you kind of bring it before other people, people that know you and trust you and you ask them to pray for you, God always speaks through the symphony of his people. And you ask for that and say, oh, can you pray for this? Because maybe somebody just gave me, a, somebody gave me a prophetic word and I'm not sure if it's really from God. So could you pray? Or I'm sensing God is leading me this way. Could you pray with me and see where maybe God is leading? The other way that really has been the best way in how I hear from the Holy Spirit is through the word of God. That as you read the Bible and you read little sections of it and you ask the question, God, what do you like in this passage? And God, what do you want me to do as a result of reading this? You will hear from the Holy Spirit many ways in how you can navigate through life. And so set a plan, but be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I used this example in the first service, but Pastor Sunita, some of you may not know this, but she was at Harvard Law School getting her law degree. She was in her very last year, months away from graduating. She was going to graduate and probably make good money. Or she also said she had a desire to maybe work, uh, be a president for the NAACP. That was sort of her dream. That's why she pursued law. She felt that like God was leading that way, so she pursued it. And then in her last year, months before she graduated, she was in her car and God said, no, I don't want you to be a lawyer, Sunita. I want you to be a pastor. Man, can you imagine that? She disagreed with it. She fought it. But that's just after she listened and she let it sort of ponder and through prayer and through friends, she realized God was calling her to pivot and to go. She had a plan for her life. And God was in it, she felt. But God, the Holy Spirit said, no, I need you to pivot. That pivot is key. If you can't learn to pivot for the Holy Spirit, you're going to miss out on God. You're going to really miss out on God. You're, no longer going to, you're not going to be able to be on the passenger seat and see where God takes you. You're going to be in the driver's seat. The pivot is key. Are you willing to submit to the Holy Spirit? And if you ask her, she will say it was the best decision she's ever made. Last year, um, in March of 2018, I really... Uh, was getting ready, if, and if, if you were here, you know that we were about ready to embark on a capital campaign. Um, we felt God was really encouraging us to build a, a permanent home for Metro Community Church and our community center. And the unique thing about this is that uh, uh, this will be the very first community center that the city would ever have here in Englewood, and in, in its history. For the past 30, 35 years, the city has been asking its leaders, could you build a community center for our kids and for our elders and for our community here? And they haven't been able to do it because of the lack of funds and so on and so forth. And God gave us this vision that when we build our building, it's not going to be a church first. It's going to be a community center with a church. And it's from Monday to Saturday, it'll be a fully functioning community center. And then on Sunday, we will use it kind of like this. 
And it was it's a bold vision. And so we were getting ready to do a capital campaign. We're going to launch it in April and, and sort of finish it out in June. And everyone was going to come and give to it for the pledge for the next three years. We get ready for it. And so Kevin and I, we poured tons of work on this. And in March of 2018, he says, I need to meet with you. Pastor Kevin says, can we have a meeting? I said, sure. What's up? And he said, um, next year, meaning this year, I'm going to be 65 years old. I feel like I'm slowing down a little bit. And I've thought to myself, no, you're not. You're in better shape than 95% of our staff. I mean, he really is. He is in incredible physical shape. And he said, um, Linda and I have been really thinking about this, and this is not easy for us, but we realized that in 2019, um, around the time when I turned 65, we're going to step away from Metro and we want to move to Chicago and be with our grandkids. We love our grandkids. We want to be around them and it's just so hard to be separated from them and we want to be in their lives while they're still young. And I remember when he told me that, <laughs> I just internally, I said, no, you're not leaving. You're not leaving. And I just said, well, let's pray about this, Kevin. Let me just think about it for a little while. Let me pray, bring it before the Lord. I went to our elders, like, what can we do to keep this guy here, all right? And so I came back to him a few weeks later. I said, here's the deal. You can have unlimited vacation, all right? You can go whenever you want to Chicago. We're not going to even count it as vacation days. Just go. Just go and be with them. Be a part of their lives. But I said, Kevin, I need you. This is the most important season in the history of our church. I can't do this without you. He's my Barnabas, guys. Kevin has been my Barnabas since 2011. He's encouraged me in ways, I'm serious, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for his encouragement upon my life. I was like, I can't do this without my Barnabas. And he smiled at me and he said, no, we're, we're still going to leave because we want to go and be with our grandkids. I was upset. I was. I was hurt and I was upset. And I didn't know how to deal with that. I really didn't. I didn't know how to deal with the conflict of that because it, it sort of came out of nowhere and it just overwhelmed me. And this was the second time. The first time he did that uh, several years when he first started and, you know, he needed to be with his wife more and they went to Seattle. Family members were sick and he decided to relocate there and that was hard hearing that. Now it's the second trauma, traumatic experience that I had and he said almost in the same way and I just, I, it was hard. I started to feel conflicted. He wasn't, but I was. And um, about six weeks ago, Six weeks ago, after a year of just pondering, sitting down with some of my mentors and processing, and I fully didn't understand what was going on. Part of it's just my own selfishness, you know, and wanting him here. But as I was able to kind of find out, think it through and reflect, and it took me a while, I realized, oh, this is what I'm feeling. This is the conflict that I'm going through. This is the conflict that I have with Kevin. And so I met up with him about six, seven weeks ago, and I said, hey, um, it would have been much easier for me if you included me in the decision-making process. I said, don't you consider me to be like your brother? Like more than me just being your boss? Don't you see me as like a brother where we've locked arms and done ministry for all these years together? That we're more than just work, that we just work together? That it's more than just a working relationship? Because of course it is. I said, well then, it would have been so great if you included me in the process so that it wasn't so traumatic for me. And I, and I get why he probably didn't want to include me in the process because I would have said, no, you can't go. You can't go. I get it. But I said, Kevin, I, I, I didn't, it didn't mean that I, I didn't, 
expect you to listen to me. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that because we have this relationship, it would have been really great for you to include me in sort of the process to say, Linda and I are thinking about this, but we're not sure. Would you pray with us? Man, that would have meant the world to me, I told him. It would have meant the world to me if you did that for me. And he listened to it. And he just said, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. I said, it would have been so much easier. It was so hard for me to grapple with this. And you know, it was our staff retreat this week. We just came back from it this weekend. God just helped me to see it even clearer. You know, for the years in which Kevin was, he's been here since 2011. You know one of the greatest ministries that he and his wife Linda has committed themselves to, and we've all got to be able to sort of soak it in experience. It's this ministry where he reminded us every time we spoke to him and connected with him, he reminded us that we are God's beloved and he's so well pleased with us. That was Kevin and Linda's ministry to us. And we had that for eight years, Metro. So good, isn't it? But we can't be selfish and just want it all the time. That as God is leading to Chicago, he's going to be able to do that for another church. And I just realized that it has to happen. There's another ministry of hope, another Barnabas that, that God is going to call Kevin to right now. And we have to bless that as a community, right? But it really hurt then. And we just talked and we were able to work it through and it was just so great. And I thanked him for just listening to me and allowing me just to vent. It was important for me to engage with him in that conflict, to face it, because I didn't want any, anything sort of to block us in our relationship, that if I would see him at a conference, that we can do life together. And I want us to have Kevin and Linda come here once or maybe twice a year to do things for us. But when he told me that in March of last year, I struggled with that for so long. I met with all my mentors and things like that. And my mentor in New York, he said this to me. He said, it is so good that Kevin is leaving you. You don't know what a blessing it is. I said, really? What blessing does God have in store for me? And that's why he's removing Kevin from my life. He said, the blessing is God wants you to suffer, Peter. He's calling you to suffer. You rely on that guy way too much. And he wants you to rely upon him. And so will you just surrender to God that God is in all of this and that you guys have to go your separate ways? Oh, man, that was hard. And I said, I'll go surrender to it. We set a plan. When Kevin leaves, what we're going to do, what's going to happen. And just to kind of be fully, to, fully honest with you, right now where our church is at a financial level, we're actually really struggling financially as a church. Uh, we've had to cut hundreds of thousands of dollars off our budget for this year in hopes that maybe we can come close to not being in the deep red. All right? And so we've had to do that. Ministry is compromised at some levels as a result of it. And, uh, and so the elders, we've been working so hard in trying to figure this out. And, and, and it's not to say that you guys aren't giving. That's not it. You know, really what, what's happened is that because of the capital campaign, because you, know, you have dedicated the next three years to give a certain amount, we wanted that to be in addition to your normal offering. But I think for some of us in this room, it's, it's, it's been really the only offering that we give on a Sunday. We don't give the general offering. So our capital campaign money has been coming in, which has been great. But then our general offering has come down. And our budget did go up just a little bit this year, I think like 2% from last year. And so as a result of that, we were realizing that we're going to run into a big deficit. And so we sort of forecasted sort of doing an average weekly sort of offering. And then we times that by 52 weeks. And we realized, okay, that's going to be the number. And that was several, a couple hundred thousand dollars over our normal budget. And so we had to do the work. Kevin, myself, and Carol, and the leadership, that we've had, we had to do the work over the last couple of months. And how do we cut it so that it meets that bottom line that we're trying to get to? That's more of a sort of a clearer picture. 
And so one of the ways in how we were going to do that was that when Kevin leaves in August, we're not going to hire an executive pastor for the rest of the year. That would save us money, good money. And so that would help us to probably be maybe like 30,000 sort of like short on what we thought, we, you know, in adjusting that budget thing. And that's, that's not that much, really. We, we, can, we can figure out a way to make that work somehow. Right? And so that was our plan. We're not going to bring anyone on until, you know, until the end of the year. And most likely next year, it's probably not going to happen until like mid-year because it's hard to find an executive pastor, somebody to replace somebody like a Kevin. And so I was thinking it's probably going to be at least an 8 to 12 month sort of a process. So it's going to be a while. So we'll save money that way. It'll help the church in that way. Well, interestingly enough, about two, three months ago, uh, Kevin came to me and said, I met this guy on a Wednesday night service, and we got together, and he said, you should meet with him. I said, why? Why do you want me to meet with him? He said, just meet with him, Peter, because I think he could be a potential executive pastor candidate. And I said to Kevin, I said, but Kevin, we're not going to hire an executive pastor to 2020, so I don't know if it's worth me meeting him. He said, you should meet him. So I said, all right, and I met him, and the first thing I told him, I said, we are not going to hire anyone <laughs> till 2020. The earliest will be 2020. All right, and so we start talking, and from our first meeting, we just bonded. He shares some things about his life that, I, that no one's ever shared with me at a first interview. <laughs> Shocking. And then we met three more times after that, and his life experiences and what he brings to the table and all the different facets and his skill sets that he has, I feel like could be potentially a great potential for our church for the future because he possesses a lot more of like, you know, a COO, CFO kind of type of uh, person. And so after like that fourth meeting, I said, well, this is serious. We better, we better consider this. And so uh, we have a, a consultant. His, his name is Jim, and, and, and he's helping us with the, with the school, with the community center. And, uh, and he's asked, and uh, I trust him. He was a former CEO. He actually consults with a lot of organizations and, and management, things like that. And so I just said, would you interview him for me and just let me know your thoughts? And he did. They met up for almost three hours. And he came back to me, and he said, Oh, this guy's a keeper. He's solid. You got to bring him on. And I said, well, I was like, we can't. We set a plan. We're not going to hire him until 2020. And so he looked at me and he said, Peter, a guy like that is not going to last till 2020. He will be asked to work at another organization. He'll be picked up like that. And I said, but our budget, we, we really can't. And he said, well, if Kevin steps out, what's going to happen? I said, well, I'll figure it out. I can just step up and do it. He goes, really? You think you can do that? Do all that extra work that Kevin did and still devote 40% of your time on getting this building here in Englewood? You think you can do that? And I said, with God's grace, I think I can. He just said, you're going to kill yourself. And so I thought about it. I really sensed, are you speaking, Holy Spirit? Like, do we do this? And I uh, met up with the leadership team. He met up with the leadership team. And it felt very clear that this guy was the one. And uh, the staff met him a few weeks ago. And I'm going to bring him up on stage, not now, but one Sunday, very soon, I promise. And the hard part of all of this also is that, you know, Kevin was originally going to step down at the end of August, but now he's chosen to step down at the end of June. And one of the reasons why isn't because he wants to get out of here. It's not it. But Kevin is a man of integrity. And he said, if we ever, he said to me, when he told me in March of last year, he said, if we ever find somebody before the time that I leave, he said, Peter, I'm out of here. I don't want to put Metro on hold. And so he's leaving in a little over a month, Kevin. And I know that's hard. And um, 
having to embrace that. The staff took that really hard and we're just kind of processing. But the hardest part of all of this and how we've sort of had to pivot and, and make these adjustments to the Holy Spirit is just even thinking about our budget. Because with that and bringing him on earlier, we're probably going to be at like a $70,000 deficit by the end of the year. And part of that is, will we just trust in God and have faith? Right? Will we trust and know that God will provide that at the end, if God is leading this, then how can we be the ones who just say, we can't let this happen? And so it's, I'm going to be honest, it's hard, Metro. It's hard submitting to the Holy Spirit. It's hard trying to, when you have numbers and you have things and you, and you feel like this is the right way to go, and then the Spirit says, no, you got to go this way. And now you're like, okay, well, now let's see what happens. It's hard to have faith in God. And Metro Community Church, um, God needs you. I need you. If we're going to do the things that we say we're going to do here in this church. We're asking the city of Englewood to donate a building to us. We're not going to buy it from them because we don't have the money to buy it. But we're asking them to donate a building to us. And they're actually open to it, which is crazy. This city has never had a community center in over 30 years. There's never been one in its history. And all of a sudden now God has called this church to do something that's never been done in three, over three decades when the city has cried out for one. When that happens, don't you know that there are strongholds that the enemy has put in Englewood? And all of a sudden now we're trying to break those chains. Don't you think that God is going uh, to put us through a season of suffering, the enemy's going to come and attack and he's going to try to divide us and break this body apart so that this community center doesn't happen. Don't you think that that's going to happen to us perhaps? The only way we're going to be able to move forward in this metro is if we all grow in spiritual grit because it's going to get hard. It's going to get hard. I mean, I mean, these meetings almost every week, meeting with different stakeholders here in the community, and I'm just overwhelmed by the favor that we're receiving right now, and I'm just waiting for the nuclear bomb to just blow off on my life. I'm like, favor I know isn't fair, but at the same time, it's too much at this point. There's going to come a time where it's going to get real, real hard. And Metro, in those moments, as your pastor, and, and hopefully as you see this as a God thing, we're going to need each other. I'm going to need you. we got to grow in spiritual grit. Otherwise, we're not going to last. This thing is not going to move forward. You can't just depend upon the staff to make this thing happen. It's going to be all of us because God has called us to this vision to be a church of transformation here in Englewood. And so will we together grow in spiritual grit, that no matter how hard it gets, that we're going to fight and fight and fight and know that God is calling us to do this, so we're going to make this thing happen. And we have to pivot, we will, because we're going to submit to the Holy Spirit. Amen. That no matter what, we're not going to run away from conflict, but because of the stakes are so high, it's not just about your life, but it's the life of this church, that you're going to face conflicts with people in this church and outside of this church. And that you're going to be willing as a church, to be people that are going to devote themselves to instilling hope in other people who have lost all sense of hope. And that you're going to be willing to suffer for him by surrendering everything that you have to him. And saying, God, this is the life that I'm going to live from you going forward. I'm going to surrender it to you. You tell me what and I will do it. My hope and prayer is that today God will allow you to recommit yourself in a way where you're going to say, I'm going to build spiritual grit. And you would know that this faith is not just about you. I hope God blesses you and blesses your life in every way. But Metro, 
if this thing happens in 12 to 18 months, you will be a part of history and you will be changing lives for all eternity for the next several decades in the life of the city here in Inglewood where there's kids and adults that are struggling in life and that God would tap us on the shoulder and give us the privilege to be a part of something like this before we die on this earth. Our life is but a breath, 80, 85 years maybe. And that we would have an opportunity in our life to be a part of something this crazy and this amazing. He invites you to be a part of it today. But you got to be willing to have spiritual grit. Let's pray. I'm going to give you just a moment to go before the Lord. And the question is this. Will you ask God to help you to grow in spiritual grit? Because it's going to be needed, not just for this church, but for your own life, as you engage in relationships and things. But will you ask God to help you to face conflicts, to embrace the ministry of hope, to be willing to suffer for him by surrendering all of yourself to him? And will you submit yourself to the Holy Spirit and his guidance? even though it might cause you to pivot and change. Go to him, give you a few minutes to do that, and I'm going to close this in prayer. I sense, I didn't sense this in the first, but in the second I am. That there might be somebody here, whether in this room or in the gym, online, in the nursery. Where the Holy Spirit has told you to pivot, but you haven't done it yet. Because you're too scared. You're too scared to pivot. And what makes sense to you is your plan that you have for your life and what makes complete sense. And the thought of that pivot and having nothing else to depend upon but the Holy Spirit in God is terrifying for you, but it's okay because God's inviting you to encounter him in a deeper way. So I'm gonna invite you to pivot today. I wanna invite you to make that pivot follow what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do, like Paul had to. It's not going to be easy. I guarantee you, you will have to suffer, but it's the only way to live life. And so will you take that pivot today? Will you pivot for the Lord? If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. Every eyes closed, every head bowed. Would you just raise your hand and say, Peter, will you pray for me so that I can make that pivot? And I'll pray for you today. Will you raise that hand? I see your hand. You can put it down. Anyone else? I see your hand, sister. I see your hand, brother. I see your hand, sister. You can put it down. Anyone else? I see your hand. Oh, all over in the back. I see your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? I see your hand, sister. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. 
and for those that raise their hand in the gym, at your homes, if you're home watching this, or in the nursery. Let's join in prayer right now. God, it's not easy walking with you. And God, the battle really is us believing that our way is better than your way. It's a challenge, God. And I pray you forgive us for not knowing that your way is the best. I pray for all those hands that were raised in this room, in the gym, in the nursery, and online. I pray, God, that you'll help them to pivot today. I pray that you'll give them more courage than they've ever had to ask and depend upon you for. And as they make that pivot, God, I pray, Lord, that you would allow them to enter into a world of your grace and your love and your mercy in the midst of the suffering that might be caused by it. And Lord, I pray that their faith in you will be so real, so real as a result of it. Thank you, God, for the spirit. Thank you, God, that you cause us to pivot. Thank you that you love us so much that you don't want us to just waste our lives. But that you call us to make a pivot because you know us, you made us, you created us. And so help us to obey you. Help us to live our lives according to the way and how you want us to live it. And I thank you, God, for speaking to us. Thank you, God, that you want us to build spiritual grit. Help us, Lord, to continue to live on that path no matter how difficult it might be. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. 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 There's some next steps that I'd love for you to take. They're in the back of your bulletins uh, in your comp card. The first is I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, please check that off in the meet, meet, meet at the next table, the second table on your left as you walk out. There is a pastor or leader that would love to pray with you and give you a free gift. Second, I'm going to connect with someone that I'm in conflict with this week. Somebody that you're in conflict with, you're going to face that conflict by meeting with them. Check that off. We will pray for you this week that you would do that. Third, I will reflect about who I can minister hope to this week. There are de dejected people in your world. There are. Why don't you let God use you to minister hope to them? Uh, last, uh, oh, fourth, please sign me up for Connections Dinner on June 2nd at 4 p.m. It'll be at my home. Learning a little bit more about the church. Maybe you've just been coming out for like a week or two or maybe a month. If you want to learn more about Metro, feel free to come. You'll learn more about Metro. We'll have a nice dinner together as well. And I'd uh, love to take your questions concerns, whatever you might have regarding this church. So feel free to come forward, if, uh, come out. Just check this off on the communication card. Uh, the last, I'm interested in attending Camp Metro with Pastor Kevin Butcher on June 23rd to 28th. It's for everyone in the church. It'll be a week up in New Hampshire, about three, about three uh, and a half hours away. And uh, it'll be the best week of your year. Really will be. You'll, be, you'll have an opportunity to create some space and time for God, but also let God minister to you. Pastor Kevin Butcher is an amazing, prophetic minister of God's love. And some of you really need that in your life today. You really do. Sign up for that. All kids are welcome as well. If you're interested, you can sign up here. There's a table out there where you can sign up for that as well. All right.